Um, I want to speak to you this morning, obviously, on the, uh, the, just the focus of hope in our lives. The idea of that Jesus came to give us hope, and if he came to give us hope, then how is it that we find hope? You know, it's allowing ourselves to be found by Christ, if you will. You know, we've already shared about the Advent and how that they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. And so I want to read a scripture uh, from Luke that, that displays that, if you will, for them. It was the shepherds that were out tending the flocks and an angel comes and, and they hear the message, if you will, that the Son of God has been born. In Luke 2, 8 through 14, we're going to talk today about being in search of hope. And it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of angels, uh, uh, heavenly hosts, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. On whom his favor rests. God sent his son so that his favor would rest on all mankind. He didn't send his son just for a few. He sent his son for each and every person on the face of this planet. The question is, will they acknowledge that? And I say that I've never met a person that hasn't had time in their lives that they aren't in search of hope. And the reality is, is if we open our hearts up to Christ, we find the greatest hope that mankind could ever know. Amen? So, what is hope? What is hope? Hope is to look and long for with uh, surety, eagerly looking forward to what will happen. To long and look, to look and long for with surety, eagerly looking forward to what will happen. Hebrews 12:2 says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith." who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want you to see there in that passage alone that, that, that what's going on is that we see that we look unto Jesus. There's a hope that we look unto Jesus and that there is a hope that he is not just the one that began the faith walk we're in, but he's the one that's going to finish it for us. Now, now, there's an interaction there. There's an exchange that takes place between us and Jesus. But make no mistake about it. He's the one doing the work in us. We're just allowing ourselves, if you will, to be led by his spirit into the life that he has promised us. Amen. So, so what you have is you have uh, this time where the shepherds, the angels declaring this to them. They were walking out their faith according to what we read in the Old Testament. And they're all looking forward to the Messiah coming. Their, their faith is being walked out just like we walk our faith out, but with one difference. The Messiah has come. 
See, for them, they're looking to that. For us, we look back upon that. We look back upon the work of the cross, and we look unto his second coming. We look to his return in our life. That is a hope that we have that one day he is going to come back and receive us unto himself, and we will be forever be with the Lord, is what the Bible declares. And so, so as we, as we uh, reflect on hope at work in our lives, it's important to understand the source of hope. We can't just, well, I'm hoping for this, but not know how then to gain that greater hope in our life. What is it that gives us a hope in God working in our lives? What is it that we can look to, to that's concrete evidence that God will work in our lives? And I want to point those out to you this morning that the source of our hope, Romans 15, 13 says this. That may, uh, may God, the source of hope, fill you with joy and peace through your faith in him. The source of hope, if you look at it, it's in him. It's not in anything else. That, we're going to look at some of the promises and some of the things that God does. But in reality, it's Jesus Christ that we look to. And, and we don't have hope any other way. If we put hope in anything else... And we find ourselves falling short. We find ourselves questioning those moments that are hard in our life and whether God is at work in our life. Anybody ever been there? You ever been in that place where you're, you're saying, you know, man, this is going on and God, I just don't understand. God does. God does understand. And when we come to him in the midst of that saying that, God, I may not understand, but you do. And therefore, I put my trust in you. We, we could say that another thing, uh, uh, you know, about hope is, is that you don't lose trust in God just because circumstances may look different than what you think they should or different than what the Bible may say. You don't lose trust in him. You don't lose that hope that he's at work in your life because of a situation. If anything, you dig your heels in just a little bit more and say, I don't care what's going on around me. What I do know is that God is at work within me. Amen? 1 Timothy 1.1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. That Christ Jesus is our hope. Colossians 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's reflect back on that a second again. So here is, is, is all from, from the time of the fall in the garden, from that moment where, where Adam fell in the garden, Adam and Eve, that there was a need. There was a need for sins not only to be covered, but to forevermore be washed away. That, that the Bible declares that though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They won't exist anymore. That, that God, for our transgressions, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever driven east? Have you ever driven west? Does it ever end? If you're going west, it kind of keeps going west, correct? If you're going east, it goes and goes and goes. Watch this. You have to change directions. 
to head the other way, right? But you'll never come around to the east if you're going west. You'll always be coming and going west. In other words, your sins can't catch up with you. Those things won't... I don't mean that, you know, there aren't wages of sin. What I'm saying is, is your sins will not overtake you when your hope is in Christ. But rather what happens is that work of redemption that Christ has begun in you, he will continue to work his redemptive process in your life, bringing you to the likeness of himself. That God is forming in you. He is transforming you and he is changing you. All of us into the likeness and image of his own son. That's why when we're baptized in water, what does it say? To be baptized in water for the remission of sin. What is that? Sin is diminishing and righteousness is increasing. Your sin is going away and his righteousness is coming and bringing you to a greater day. He's bringing you to that that final, that greater day of when you'll be with him forevermore. And in that moment, the Bible says, not only will we be with him, do you know what the Bible says? We will be like him. We will be like him. We will no longer contend with the, these uh, challenges that the flesh offers up for us. We'll, we'll no longer have, if you will, those surly bonds of the flesh. But what will happen is, is we will be spirit just as he's spirit. We'll be given a glorified body. But that body's not like this one. Here's why. Because that body, you can walk through walls. Anybody want to demonstrate for me right now? You understand what I'm saying? It's not the same body. You're not going to have the same junk. And you know what? You're not going to need hope anymore. Do you know you're not going to need faith anymore? All you're going to need to do is walk in love. That's why love is the greater gift. It says these three things abide. Faith, hope, and love, right? There's hope at work. There's a, a faith in us, and there's a connection between the two. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me say, when the love of Christ is manifest to its fullness in our life, what work does faith have in our life anymore? Because when love have, has its perfect work in us, there's no doubt. There's no unbelief. Therefore, faith has come to perfection in God's love being made perfect in us. That's what will happen on that great and final day. So, so here they are. They're looking forward to him coming from, from Adam all the way through this process. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of the Messiah. And their hope hinged on what God promised. Their hope of the Messiah coming hinged on what had been declared would be. And this day that we read right there, the shepherds are experiencing the message. And what is it? I bring you good news. Tidings of great joy, right? I'm bringing you good news. This is what the gospel is. It's the good news. That Christ has come to free mankind from sin and reconcile them back to God. So when we see that, they get to experience the fullness of that. It didn't come the way they thought it was going to come. He actually even had to tell them, look, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, the King James says. And he has to actually tell them, this is how it's packaged. It's not what you thought. 
They all thought that somehow, right, there's going to be this reigning king and they're going to conquer mankind through flesh. And God sent his son in likeness of human flesh, but with the fullness of the spirit. He had the spirit, and the Bible says, without measure. And he, he comes into this earth, and what he does is in flesh, by the power of the spirit, he condemns sin and gives place for man to rise out of sin. Can you say amen? There's hope in that that is like no other. Now, where, where do we, you know, when we think about applying this, where do we find that hope in this walk? Because as an idea, that's great. But how do we see that idea, just like God speaking those words to Mary, how do we see the idea actually manifest? How do we see the, this, this great thought, this great idea of what's going to happen? How does it come to pass? Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. She was favored of God. What was it that caused the favor of God to be on Mary? She was upright. She was one that, 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 that walked according to what, the, at that time, the law required. For us, it's not by the law, but it is by grace. For Mary, it was by grace as a result of keeping the law. For us, it's by grace, and he brings us into that likeness and image. And here's the deal. It, unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, anybody know that scripture? The Bible says we'll by no means see heaven. Well, do we need to keep the law? No, what happens is, is Christ in us keeps the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, did he? What he begins to do is by reason of the Holy Spirit working in us, we start to do things that honor God without our effort. We sense the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us. We sense God's favor. We, we almost sense as if it, if it is another is living through us. Come on now. Yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. I know I say it all the time, but it's a, re a revelation we need to get to understand that when we are yielded to Christ, he begins to live through us. And this is not something that's done where it's so hard and it's difficult to live for Christ, but rather we're yielded and we find it fairly easy to live for Christ. Every situation we face isn't easy, but when we're in that moment, Jesus, work in me. We yield to him and let him bring about his will. Why? Because my hope is in him. If I'm in search of hope in every situation, then my first question in situations that might steal my hope, is Jesus, help me understand this. Jesus, give me guidance. Where do you think Jesus will guide you to? The Word. He's going to guide you to the Word. Why? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, like, as we're talking about hope and we're talking about Jesus coming into this earth, let's go ahead and put it this way. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Emmanuel, God with us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, men. And he dwelt among us for that purpose of condemning sin to give us hope to live in righteousness. But it's not of our own effort. It's his work in our life. But it is important for us, as I've, I've preached recently on this, the idea of doors. 
spending time with God. Why? I've always said this to my kids raising them. You become like the people you hang around, what you read, or what you take in, if you will. The eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, the nose gate, the touch gate. You all know what the gates are? See, those, the, we, we stand watch, if we could call them doors, if you will. We stand watch at the doors of our senses because our senses can deceive us. Huh? You know, uh, you, it's like, well, if, if, if you're blind, that's one door you don't have to deal with. Yeah, but, but you still have all the others, you know. If you're deaf, that's a door you don't have to hear, deal with, you know. Yeah, but you've got all the others. Here, here's the deal with that is that, that if you don't watch those gates, if you don't watch those doors that those things can enter in, what they will do is they begin to consume your time. You find, see, when the Spirit, when you think about the gate of the Spirit, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And when you think about the Spirit, the Spirit wants to spend time where? The Spirit will want to spend time in the Word of God. The Spirit wants to spend time with you. Say that, the Spirit, let's do it this way, the Holy Spirit wants to spend time with me so that I can spend time with God. See, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is the one that will guide you into all truth. The Spirit is the one that will teach you of things yet to come. The Spirit is is the one that will will, uh, unveil, He will reveal the things of Scripture so that what happens is, is you're not trying to, to make that, you're not trying to live according to the law. You're not trying to keep a list of rules, but rather you sense his power working in you and you sense his leadership and his guidance to go that way. And you don't find it to be laborsome. You don't find the commands of God to be burdensome, but rather all of a sudden you start to see them as freedom. You start to see them, it's just like the rule when I tell my kids, you don't go play in the street. Don't pass the sidewalk. Jeez, Dad, I want to play in the street, right? We all do that. It's like, I want to go do this. But the reality is God has put those things there for our protection. And yet we find ourselves in that place of needing his help to stay within context of that. And how did he offer up that help? Not that keep the law, but rather I will give you my spirit. He will be in you. And he will guide you into all truth. Now I want to talk about how hope is found. If we're in search of hope, how do we find that hope? And there's five things I want to give you this morning. That hope first is found in God's presence. Psalm 62 and 5 says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from you. I don't know about you. But the encounters that I've had with God, not just I'm reading his word, not just talking about God, not just somebody sharing about God, but the moments where I know that I know that I know and no one could ever talk me out of it. I encountered his presence. I'm in his presence. I sense it all about me. It's comforting. It's challenging. It's inspiring. All those things begin to happen. Those key moments where I know that I've encountered God's presence are are a guide to me. And I know that that is where my hope comes from. 
it comes from the Lord. Amen. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. I tell you, I spent a lot of time with folks who will talk about their situations. This isn't working. That's not working. My marriage isn't working. My kids won't, you know, do the right thing. I I just don't know what to do. You know, my job doesn't go well. This doesn't go well. That doesn't go well. And, you know, in, in all those conversations, I hear no reference to putting their hope in God. And, and, and some of the most interesting conversations I've ever had is when you say, you know, God's word says, they're like, yeah, but it doesn't work for me. You know why you guys are quiet, right? Because you've thought it just like I've thought it and, and other people have like, it's not working. Does God's word work or not? Would you say his word works? Have you ever had times you're like, it's not working? Yeah, every one of us have. But ultimately, what we got to keep is we got to keep the priority straight in that. that you know what? Uh, God, you're true and every man a liar. Now, here's the thing about that scripture when you apply it to this. Because when situations are going bad and you start to lose hope and you start to question, there, there's an important moment for each and every one of us. All you do is just go find a mirror. Look, look, put one of those little mirror stickers in your Bible. And when you're like, it just doesn't work, flip it open and look in the mirror. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that includes you, buddy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look at yourself and say, if you say God's word doesn't work, you're lying. And I want to say to you that, that nothing will change your perspective on that more than being in his presence. That if you come into God's presence, your situation will pale next to the glory of who he is. Amen. Number two, God's promise. We find hope in God's promise. Psalms 119 and 81 says, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. I've put my hope in your word. Even when I don't know how to grab a hold of it, all I got to do is go and read it and keep reading it and keep reading it and keep reading it. Why? Because when I read it and it says that, I have my hope in your word. And if I hope in your word, be it unto me, what did Mary say? Be it unto me according to your word. Man, I don't know how that's going to happen. A virgin having a baby. Seems kind of impossible, you know. But be it unto me according to your word. In other words, I put my hope in what you've said, God. Not in what I feel. Not in what circumstances say. And not even in what science or, if you will, the laws of our own bodies you understand how much faith she had to have in what God was saying for for her to accept that she's going to conceive a child and 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 Joseph not be involved in that but the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and she's going to have a baby let me just say that 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 defies everything medically and scientifically that could be possible can you say amen that's why we call it the immaculate conception correct That it is a miracle that God performed to bring his son into this earth. And get it this way. That's how it had to be done. Because sin is not going to free mankind from sin. When God comes in human form, all the righteousness, all the purity, all the holiness of God was manifest in Jesus Christ. 
He was tempted in every way, but he overcome every single one of those temptations so that he could do one thing, open up a door of freedom for each and every one of us. Amen? That is a promise of God to, to us. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We sing that old hymn, great is thy faithfulness, right? That's what this reflects upon. That God's faithfulness knows no end. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to exhaust God's faithfulness to you. There's no uh, decision you could make that's, that's bad enough. There's no sin you could commit that would ever exhaust God's faithfulness to you. That his compassion is that great. And that his mercies, the Bible says his mercies, that they're new every morning. Now, I don't know about you. Anybody ever had a bad day? One or two? If you're married, I'm quite certain you've had a, a moment where you thought, I am so glad that God's mercies are new every morning. And I hope my husband or my wife will uh, have the same feeling. Right? <laughs> Number three, God's process. That we find hope in God's process. Romans 5, 2 through 4 says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We can find, in that process, we can find hope. Look, I, I, th I think what's interesting, God could, have, God could have come, and you know as well as I, he did it a couple times with Moses. I don't know if you remember. Noah, he starts all over, correct? He kind of resets everything back to one person. Noah's righteous in his generation, so he kind of resets everything. Okay, Noah, we're going to start over with you, man, because you're living righteous. Your family is, you know, following you, and so this is what we're going to do. Um, you take uh, Abraham. Anybody know why God chose Abraham? Because Abraham, you know, if you will, he was a disciplinarian. For I know him. He will command his children after him. So, and yet he doesn't have any kids. So God comes along, and what does he do? He performs a miracle. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, but, but Sarah was beyond the years of childbearing. It's, it's a type and shadow of what we see with Mary in a sense that she can't have a kid at that age, man. And God comes along and what he does is he performs a miracle and, and along comes Isaac. That seed of promise, if you will. And that's what Jesus is. It, that, that type and shadow that takes place. And then Moses comes along, you know. And what, what you have in Moses is you see, you see one that, that, that manifests a hope for the children of Israel that they didn't see. They, they were crying out to God. They saw their situation. And that situation was so heavy in their life that they really struggled to have any hope of a future. But along comes Moses, who God chose to be a deliverer, a ruler and a deliverer. And you know what? God manifests that hope. But it was certainly a process. It wasn't like that all just came by the snap of a finger. It wasn't just overnight. As a matter of fact, you know, Moses got things into his own hands and made a mess of things. 
Nobody's ever done that, have they? Huh? See, we wrestle with those things. We, we struggle to keep hope in the midst of that process that may be working in our life. But what this is saying is it's saying that in our perseverance... See, Jesus says the, to he who overcomes, that indicates that there needs to be perseverance in the life of a believer. And the thing that causes us to maintain an attitude of perseverance is knowing this. The way it is today isn't necessarily how it's going to be tomorrow. The way things are going today are not how they're going to be tomorrow. Why? Because I've put my hope in him. I put my hope in his word, which is promised to me. And even though it may look this way, I see that in these sufferings, it is a manifestation of God's hope to work in me that greater work to come and trust him all the more. See, I don't know about you, but, but I need God the most in my hard times. When things are good, you know, you kind of just get in a, in a way of coasting along and, and, you know, not feeling like, it's like, hey, I'm good today, God, you know. I, I found that my children run to me more when things are going wrong than they do when they're going good right? And it's the same for us. We tend to run to God. Why? Because when we start to lose hope, we start looking. We start searching. We're in search of hope. And I say that we can find that hope also in the process of God's work in our lives. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God's works uh, for the good. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose See, that scripture is given to us as a promise. It's a promise that although things may be difficult from time to time, although there may be challenges in our life, God will work even those hard things together for good. He'll weave them together. Uh, somebody shared the example when I was a young Christian. You know, they were sharing about how, how God works grace and how he works things together for good. And, and using a simple illustration for it was this. A deck of cards. You ever played cards? You ever been in a card game? You know? There's nothing worse than getting dealt, you know, four twos and a three, you know? It's pretty, pretty rotten, right? In a sense, in your life, when God looks at your life, he knows that some of those sufferings and some of those difficult things are the things that will keep you near to him. It'll cause you to... If everything goes perfect and good all the time, you know, the tendency is to wander off from God. And in a sense, he's not going to let there be more upon you than you can handle. You ever read that scripture? He will never put more upon you than you're able to handle. And a lot of us are saying, well, I've had some stuff. I can tell you right now, I don't know for sure if he was really calculating right, but it seemed like more than I could handle. But you're here today. And in a sense, God would shuffle the deck and, you know, ace two. You know, it's, you, all the difficulties of life are not going to come on you at once. And crush you. God's not going to allow that. When you live uh, under the shadow of the Almighty, you can trust that He is going to balance things out. And even when something goes wrong, He'll work it together for good in your life, according to His call on your life and according to His purpose in your life. So then, the fourth thing in search of hope, we find hope in God's purpose for our life. Hope for God's purpose in our life. Isaiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's actually Jeremiah 29, 11, I apologize. Uh, to prosper you and not to harm you, 
plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I've shared that uh, many times over my years here as the pastor of Gateway. And one of my favorite word studies in that was that in the King James Version, when you go to the Strong's Concordance, you're studying original Greek, one of the words that come out of that is an intended end. An intended end. And that, that, that when it says intended end, you look up intended end, and it, then it goes further and it says procrastinate. That there's a procrastination. And that here's Israel, when they were disobedient, they found themselves in slavery. And God's saying to them while they're in slavery, crying out to him and, you know, Lord, you know, deliver us. What happens is, is God gives them this prophetic word and says, look, these are the thoughts I think towards you. They're of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, an intended end, and procrastination. So procrastination. While you're in slavery because of your sin, I procrastinate that promise to you until you have aligned yourself with me and that promise will be performed in your life. That he actually doesn't take it away. God doesn't take anything back from you. What he has said he will do. He says, if you do this, I will do this. It's like, oh, well, then it's conditional. Oh, you can bet that everything except for salvation is pretty conditional. He died on that cross to give you salvation. You are saved, not of your works, lest any man should boast. But there's a reason why we have scriptures that say, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling unto God. Fear, respect unto God. Trembling, no one day you will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your life. And that in that process what happens is, is we know that I have hope but I've got responsibility within the hope that I have towards God and his work in me. I have a responsibility to go his way. I need to go God's way, not my own. That's exactly what the scriptures say. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. And when we go our own way, just like Israel, we end up in the slavery of situations that oftentimes are what we know as self-inflicted wounds. Self-inflicted situations because of bad decisions. We also know we have an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy in our life. But no, he has no power any longer. Jesus hanging on the cross put him. Jesus might have hung on open shame, but he put the devil to an open shame when he hung on that cross. And our Bible tells us that had he known what he was doing when he crucified our Lord, he would not have done it. Why? Because it stripped him of every power that he has from the day of the garden where Adam sinned. Jesus dies on the cross and he strips everything from the devil. What we learned in the, in the series on doors is that, that Jesus takes the keys of hell and death. And while the enemy may be going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, the reality is he has no power lest we give it to him. Why? When Jesus died on the cross, he restored to us that ability to choose once again. Adam subjected every one of us to sin. Jesus dies on the cross and says, you got choice again. And if you'll choose me, if you'll follow me, then you have hope and every promise that I have declared in my word is yes and amen to you. But it is your choice.
to apply it. Amen? Now, uh, let me read this again to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now write Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah, not Isaiah. I don't know what the world I was thinking there. Here's what, here's what I want to uh, call us to reflect on. Write this down. When we see our hope and future, when we see our hope and future, we become a hope and future to others. When we see our hope and future, we become a hope and future to others. What is in us comes out of us. If there's hope in us, we can share hope with others. When they're in a situation where they feel like it's more than they can handle, well, we've come through this because Jesus worked in our life and it gave us hope. Let me share that hope with you. Let me share this story with you. Depression is contagious, but hope all the more. Depression might be contagious, but hope is much more contagious than depression is. People might naysay, woe is me, but man, start sharing some stories of hope and moments that you've seen in your life where God has worked, and it can lift them up out of the miry clay of that depressive state. What God does in you and for you is a testimony that can give others hope and future for their own lives. What he does in you, say what God does in me is meant to be a testimony to others that they might have hope too. Very, very important. Let me give you an illustration here, a story about a woman many years ago that worked in a mental institution outside of Boston. Uh, a young girl known as little Annie was locked in a dungeon. Doctors viewed her as a hopeless case. But then a nurse who was nearing retirement began eating her lunch outside little Annie's cage. Little Annie totally ignored her presence, but the nurse persisted and, uh, to try and reach her. One day, she left some brownies, and the next day, they were gone. Every day she came and left brownies and tried to encourage little Annie. About this time, the doctors noticed that this hopeless case was changing for the good. They moved her upstairs, and finally she was allowed to return home. That little Annie was Annie Sullivan, who taught and nurtured Helen Keller. And when you understand that, then the moral story is this. Give people brownies, and you'll give them hope. <laughs> no, no matter what people's situation, you know, see it with the eyes of your Savior. Because if there was ever a hopeless situation for mankind, it was the sin that we were bound in. It's the sin that we were lost in. And yet, while we were yet still sinners, while we were yet still sinners, God gave his only son to die for us a ransom, to win us, to rescue us, and restore us back to him. Amen? Number five, in wrapping up, fifth thing in search of hope the place that we find it is in God's place in God's place John 14 1 through 2 do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you I'm going there 
to prepare a place for you. God, if you will, Jesus, is preparing a place for us in heaven. A place where we'll be with him for all eternity. Look, when we got saved, the rest of this walk, whatever it may be, you know, if you're opting for 100 plus years, God bless you, you know, 70 to 80 for me, you know, I'm good. Let me go on and be in heaven. I mean, let me have my place because this world has nothing for me. This, the, the thing this world possesses for me is an opportunity to share Christ with others. An opportunity to lead others into a relationship with him so that they also have a place in God. Because ultimately, when this, when this all comes to a close... What else is really going to matter? When we look at everything we live for in this life, we look at all the things that trouble us. Does the fact that people are lost in our city, does the fact that people are lost in our families, does the fact that we have friends that we're around every day, does that bother us as much as how much money we have in our bank account? The things that might be broken in our home, the challenges we may have with our cars? Do we... Do we do we genuinely have a place in heaven? Because I'm thinking right now that, that if we truly, and I don't want this to be condescending, but I do want it to hit home for us in this sense. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You know what he's doing for us? He's making intercession. He's praying on our behalf. And what is he praying for? He's praying for us that we would have all the fullness of God's presence and his power working in us so that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. Why? That's why he came. We enjoy that. And we're meant to enjoy. Look, salvation, if you go and study that word out, healing, blessing, prosperity. Look, he wants you to have, but he doesn't want you to have to consume upon the lust of your own flesh. He wants you to have so that you're an influence to others around you. you the, the old statement that you're blessed so that you can be a blessing. Why? So that there, there's an intercession that you're making with every act you do in someone else's life. You are making intercession. You're, you're a go-between concerning them and Christ. Christ is between us and God making intercession. We are between Christ and the world to make intercession for them. And I don't know if you know, but when you get to Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's the kind of world we're living in right now, but when you go back and you read that story, Abraham... When God sends the angel, he goes, the angel of the Lord, he goes to tell him, like, hey, this is what we're going to do. Shall we do this thing and destroy Sodom without telling our friend Abraham, do you have the status with God that he will come to you and he will tell you the destruction that will come upon all those who do not come to the Lord? And if he puts that burden upon your heart and your response is, yeah, destroy him, Lord, let me tell you, <laughs> James and John had that. They were called the sons of thunder and lightning. And Jesus turned to him and said, you don't know what spirit you're speaking from. Basically, he was saying, you're not speaking from the spirit of God. You're not speaking from the spirit of why I came to this earth. You're speaking of another spirit. There's only one that's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And although judgment may need to come, the reality is God didn't send his son to judge. He sent his son to save the world. See, his judgment of sin he put upon himself so that mankind would receive an invitation. Amen? If we perceive our place 
in God right, then we understand that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus for the purpose of his power working through us to influence others so that they can have a place too. So that they can have a place at that banqueting table of God's word. So that they can have a place at the banqueting table of the power of God's spirit working in us and performing his good will toward us. Amen. First Peter 1, 4 through 6. God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you. And God, in his mighty power, will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting in him. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though going through a rough Going is, uh, going is rough for a while down here. The reason I, I say the importance of understanding our place so that others can have place. Uh, I've had a couple conversations recently where people were talking about how they hate Christmas time. Because they have bad memories. You know, not having family or not having people in their life and what I was about to say before that went crazy, do you know that this is one of the highest times of suicide in our, in our nation? I mean, while I mean, the joy and the excitement of this season, the reality is for so many people, it's not. It, somehow it, it brings about, that's why I said hope is more powerful than depression. But the message of hope has to be shared for people to be drawn out of depression. And I want to read to you this. Uh, psychologists tell us that the Christmas season can be one of the most stressful times of the year. I doubt we really need a psychologist to tell us that. More depression diagnoses are made in the holiday season than any other time of the year. So when you think about it, what is it that causes that? Maybe it's the single mom that's trying to figure out how to just feed her kids, let alone try and put presents under a Christmas tree. You know, and while the kids, you know, are at school and everybody's talking about what they're going to get for Christmas and what they're asking for Christmas, that home does not have any hope of experiencing Christmas that way. And let me say that that can foster, and for dads too, there's more single dad homes nowadays than there's ever been. It goes both ways on that. But when you think about what, what does a parent start to feel in that moment? They start to feel like they can't provide for their kid. They start to feel like they can't do things for their children. And depression begins to set in at a time where we talk of joy that all over the TV and all in the community, everybody's talking about joy. These people are left out. They don't have a place. And here's what I want to say. Look, we could try and foster programs and do things like that. What I want to say is, is the greatest program that the church could ever have is the eyes and the hearts and the hands of the people who are a part of that local church. Why? Because you're in all different places throughout this community. And I promise you, I promise you, I know it because I know at the gym, I already know a single mom. I already know somebody I want to do something for. And you remember a number of years ago I shared about my faith five. And the, and the last one in that, and the reason why I was last, God first, 
It was me second so that I fill my cup up so I've got something to give to people. My family, third, my job, and then doing something for somebody that I'll, I'll never get anything in return, nor do I expect anything to return, to make sure that I do that in such a way that it impacts that life for the kingdom of God, but the glory all goes to God. Amen? And what I'm saying to you is that there's no shortage of people that are in those places. There's no shortage of depressed people around us. The question is, is that, you know, have we come to that place of such hope in our life that we can share that story and that we can be an instrument of that hope or, you know, a manifestation of that hope of God working in us, through us, to touch their lives. And I want to challenge us this Christmas season, this Advent season, be hope to someone. Let the hope of Christ that's in you, what you have in you, let it come out of you and be poured out upon someone else's life. Because there's more than enough people who need that. And maybe through those simple acts of serving someone else by recognizing that's going on in their life, then what will happen is, is they'll come to Christ because here's what I know. The word of God will not return to him void. It will accomplish exactly what he sent it out to accomplish. I share this story as I close. Wade and I went snowboarding. Um, he had break. I didn't know they had a whole week break for Thanksgiving. Man, that wasn't that way for me in school. But we went snowboarding and we stayed. We went for two days and just took some time together, father and son. And uh, you sweat pretty good. And so we always wash our clothes so we don't go to the mountain the next day and you stink, you know. Um, I don't know if I'm that concerned about others. I mean, you're not really around them real close, but I don't like smelling it. So I'm in the laundry room and I'm sitting in a chair just reading my Bible on my iPhone. And a guy walks in. I'm, my, the dryer's almost done. It's got about six minutes on it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back to the room. I'll sit here. <laughs> This is the part I'm saying about be conscious of what's going on around you enough that you're, you're able to pray, God, show me how I can interact with that person. This guy comes in to the laundry room, and he's going to put his clothes in the washer. He's got to wait. And he's kind of talking to himself. He's just muttering. And, he's, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of like a little concerned. You know, I'm reading my Bible. Man, he's kind of, is he drunk? Is he, you know, he's just really had this almost crazy kind of thing about him and uh you know your first thought is like man I, okay i'm not going to interact with this guy because he's weird and just head down you know stay in your bubble right and uh he's just like you know, he's just talking to himself and i'm like i just decided like sir are you okay and he went i just flew in from i'm trying to remember where it was it was new york somewhere um i think um New Jersey or something like that. I just flew in. My daughter, she was snowboarding, and uh, she hit a tree, and she's got a collapsed lung. And, man, he just starts sharing all this. His daughter is basically, you know, it's a bad situation. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm going, wow, okay, I'd be talking to myself too. And, and as he's sharing it, you know, I'm just like, God, tell me what to say. Because you know how quick it can be a turnoff. But I don't know anybody in a hard situation, like I said, in situations where people feel hopelessness, 
You know, they're looking for hope. And I've never found too many people turn down prayer if they're in that kind of situation. I know atheists that have changed their tone because a family may It's like, hey, we're praying for you. Thank you. You know, they might not believe in it, but guess what? They're a little more open to it because they're in a hopeless situation. And I just said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. And so I just took his hand and I began to pray. And that first point I shared with you, I wrote that into, the, into my sermon this week from that situation because God's presence sat down in that laundry room. And I mean, I felt it. He felt He kind of looks up at me like, puts his head back down. And it was so tangible. And I'm praying, just God comfort him. Let the Holy Spirit comfort the family. Lord, guide the doctors. But Father, heal his daughter. Work in her life. Now, I don't know the outcome of that. One sows, another waters. You know, another reaps. God gets the increase. Here's what I know. When I was done praying, he was, man, I ain't never felt like anything like that. I, I'm a Catholic. I go to Mass. But, man, I, that was amazing. I, I really feel peace about this. And when he walked in the room, he didn't feel peace, right? And, and of course, we're going to look into next week about peace. And there's something about how hope works in our life. You know, it really brings us to a state of peace. And all I'm saying is that like that situation, there are people around you. Ask God to show them to you. You may be in here today. And you've got your own situation, your own hopeless situation. And I want to pray with you today. Would you stand to your feet? Father, I thank you for your word above everything else. Because, Lord, it is sure and it's true. And we can trust when we go to it that it will guide us where we need to go. So, Father, today, first and foremost, I lift every single member of Gateway Church to you. For those who feel they are walking in a, a place of hope in Christ and in life and they're not dealing with stuff. God, I just pray you bring them to a greater level of hope in that they would take it to others. They would share it with others. God, where there's folks here today that might be facing some hopeless situations, God, I pray that they would look to you that God, they would get in your presence so that they could hear your voice and they could, they could have that response of being unto me according to your word. So that, Father, they would see your hand work in their lives in great ways. And God, in them would be produced hope. And they would also become a testimony to others that they can have hope. Father, I pray for us as a church that, Lord, this Christmas season, I'm glad we're going to have a good time. We're going to eat next week. We're going to do all those things and celebrate this season because you've called us to do it. And, God, you've called us to have an abundant life. And so we're going to rejoice in that. We make no apologies for the abundant life that you bestow on us. But, God, I pray that each and every one of us would go find somebody that's unaware of that that they don't have a revelation of it and they don't understand it and that God this Christmas season the gift the greatest gift that we bring to you 
is that we've influenced another life by your spirit and Lord with the testimony of what you've done in our life that they might come to know as well that they father would find their place in you God I pray your anointing would be upon every believer that they would know the power of Christ that is in them to step into those situations father I pray that they would see it as as a simple step of asking if they could pray for somebody I pray as they do God that there would be such faith Lord that you're going to work in the life of that person that they would experience with that person your presence setting down in the midst of their prayers that faith would rise in the heart of the person that they touch and that lives would be changed and transformed by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit which the Bible declares they agree the spirit and the word agree and as they do God it produces faith <laughs> so the thing that the person may not see father would become because their faith has touched you when your word declares when the son of man returns and Lord as we observe advent that you sent your son into the earth we observe that he's coming back again and that your word says when the son of man returns to this earth will he find faith and Lord this morning we want that to be in our lives that there would be faith in us to step out and be witnesses for you and that father it begins with us that we would witness what you're doing in our life and we'd submit to it like Mary did to your word and then we would go and perform your good word towards others. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.